This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here in studio with my buddy Chris Tuck. Uh, thank God I forgot to put the card into the roadcaster, and we did a few minutes, and then I realized, oh shit, there's no. So we're starting over. But man, I'm glad we didn't do the whole 45 minutes. You know, how you doing? <laughs> doing really well. Get a little closer Thanks. to the mic, there, buddy. How about that? Um, well, I'm happy you're here. We're going to talk about your mayoral run, but first, I want to talk about you know it's the first session you've not been in Juno for 14 years. You were elected in 08, and you you were my rep for 10 years or more. Um, in the district, but you uh, didn't run this time. You got paired with redistricting with Andy Josephson. And was that the whole reason you didn't run or was there some other reasons? I mean, you were there for quite a long time, 14 years. You were one of the longest serving, besides I think Bryce Edmund, maybe you were one of the longest serving reps. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Bryce is the only one that had me beat in the legislature. My license plate started off as being number 40 because I was the 40th one. Mm -hmm. And then I eventually moved up to license plate number three in my last term because the number one always goes to the speaker. So what's it, you know, you first time in 14 years, you haven't been to Juno. I'm sure you're watching it. It was interesting because you got out right and you were majority leader and it was six years of a coalition. And then this time the Republicans with kind of teaming up with the Bush caucus took over. So, you know, you, we, we talked about before, but I said you would have been in the minority, but you said, maybe not, maybe you would have made, you could have maybe done something. Well, yeah, because uh, against all odds we've had been, we've been able to not only create coalitions, been able to maintain coalitions. And even though we had a lot of freshmen coming in this last year, you saw that the freshmen really wanted to work together. It's the reason why they have a freshman caucus, uh, uh, doesn't matter what their party affiliation is. And I believe that uh, had I still been in the legislature, we would have been able to pull off another coalition. You guys were, last time, were pretty close. I mean, it was 21 exactly. I remember, you know, there was some consternation, and it was like, you know, if one person doesn't vote a certain way or if one person doesn't show up, I mean, that must have been really tough at that point when it was just 21. That's the bare minimum for the, for the majority. It is, and you get, it's all hands on deck. When you're down to 20. I mean, there was one day, I think this is a year or two ago when somebody, I think Ivy's final, somebody was, was sick or wasn't there. And then the minority wouldn't give the quorum. <laughs> yeah, that did happen. I think that was 2020, 21 mm-hmm. that happened. Yeah. No. And that, I mean, that's, that's the, with, when you have narrow margins like that, I mean, that's, that's the way it is. But you know, what's nice about those narrow margins, it forces people to work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're in the majority or the minority. You, when you have those narrow margins, you have, you know, it, you basically work together. You basically try to inch things, even though you're in control and uh, supposedly in power, but there's still some procedures that are two thirds vote. There's still procedures that are three quarter vote. Yeah, like the CBR draw or, or it, and, the reverse uh, sweep thing or some of the other, you know, procedural. Effective date clause, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. So, so it really does require more conversations. And I believe that you end up with better results. Now, now, the Senate, interestingly, was Republican for a long time, since 2012, after redistricting last time. But then the last four years, it was really, it was a quote-unquote Republican majority, but it was really kind of half their majority and then the Democrats that were passing the budget 
and, and big legislation. Now the Senate went to coalition, a big coalition, 17, and the House went to Republican control. But we had talked about when I had the little issue with the uh, recording, the, the Senate, you made a good point. The Senate, smaller body, but also uh, four, half of them only have four year, uh, this four year term. So half of them are only up every two years. So maybe they can be a little more uh, free thinking and instead of having to everybody be up for reelection, you know, in two years. When I first began serving, we did have that coalition in the Senate that uh, carried on during the Palin administration. Yep. And uh, so bad things got passed out of the House, but things got rescued once it hit the Senate. And then vice versa happened. I mean, there was a period there underneath the Parnell administration where the uh, stars were aligned, if you will, for the Republican Party. Both the House and the Senate was dominated, and you had a Republican governor. That's when I was a minority leader. That's where some pretty tough times, you know, as uh, in the minority. As a matter of fact, I think we were down to eight people in the minority at one time. Um, yeah, I remember the at one point the house, the majority was like thirty. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean they had everything. They had the the three quarter vote threshold. They had everything. And we were down to eight because uh, we had one member that was uh, um, taking care of his ill terminally ill wife, and then we had. Uh, a member that had passed away. So yeah, it was. Uh, well, you talk about when you talk about twenty one. You know, the bare minimum uh, forcing people to work together and kind of have to cooperate. I've heard from people that have been around for a while. When you have thirty or like a big, big majority, it's actually in some cases worse because then you have factions. You have little groups within the majority. <laughs> That's for sure. That, that start screwing around. Mm-hmm. So there's probably. I mean, what's a sweet spot? Like twenty five for the house. Uh, 25, actually, that's a good number. Yeah, 25. Be 27, because then you have the three, I mean, you have the two-thirds thing, which. Yeah, two-thirds vote. But, uh, um, yeah, I think once you get up to 30, it gets a little bit unruly. And that's, you know, the job of the minority is to get in the majority. And the minorities will do a good job of uh, partnering or helping um, the, I'd say the minority of the majority yeah. get their way. And when those partners some, get some, some of the rogue majority members. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the reason why eventually we're able to get a coalition together because people realized that uh, they couldn't work with their own group. Well, I'm sure you watched, I'm sure you yeah. watched this last session. It was really strange that the, the budget kind of process got kind of screwy and they did this tar ducking again and the Senate waited until last minute. And actually the clock timed out. They had to go to a special session and then they sent the budget back kind of this weird procedural thing. And they ended up doing the um, concurrence vote, but only ten of the majority members voted for the budget. The concurrence vote, only ten. Sixteen minority members, like the entire minority, did, which is really—I mean, that's that's a really strange vote, isn't it? That is an odd vote. But I'll I'll share this with you. Not until Bryce Edgman became Speaker of the House did the did the um, House ever send over an operating budget without the Senate sending over the capital budget simultaneously? I've heard, I've heard stories um, way in the past when it was, when there was really like little to no trust where they would actually cross in the hallway. Definitely. The, bu- the budgets would literally physically pass each other in the hallway. And they would look at each other to make sure the right folder was going as it went past each other. So we've seen this in the last several years, you know, this kind of turducken thing, which I think Natasha von Imhoff might have coined, you know, the the operating, the capital, and the supplemental all-in-one bill. No, that started back in 2017 when the House did it. Remember, we took the whole entire operating budget and stuffed it in the capital right, right, budget right. and sent it back over to the Senate when we were locked in. Yeah, I think Von Imhoff was elected in 16. I think she might have been the first one to say it. She might have been the first phrase, but, she, she may but, have, but we're the first one to perf- actually perform it. So it, it now, now it's kind of become like every year, everybody, are we going to do a turducken again? And 
and then it gets kind of complicated. Well, um, before I talk about your mayoral race, I want to just say, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, for those that don't know what a turducken is, because I didn't know what it was. I really? Think, yeah. Was it, I think uh, people know. Oh, well, I guess if you're a football player. Turkey, it, chicken, and duck. It's like it's like the ultimate Thanksgiving. I don't even know how you make it. I mean, I think the, the tur- what, what does the, the chicken and duck go in the turkey, right? Yeah. So I think it's traditionally, I think it was done at tailgate parties during Thanksgiving mm-hmm. football. I've, I've one time was in a place where they had one. It was pretty good. Oh, okay. It was pretty tasty. Uh, so before I want to talk about the mayoral race, I just want to say it's the first time in, I guess, 14 years you're not in Juneau. Um, you're, I know you're doing your contracting business. You're an electrical contractor, and you're always busy. You're always doing, even now you got a call. You're doing stuff in the bush. And you did some, by the way, I gotta, if you ever need electrical work, folks, Chris did some great work downstairs in our studio doing some electrical wiring and some conduit work. But I guess what's it like not being in Juneau for the first time in 14 years? Every year you've gotten ready and you've gone to, you know, moved to Juneau for the session. What's that like? Well, a little bit relaxing. Um, you know, when I was, uh, my last years in serving, well, actually, even from my freshman year, you know, you're, you're in that building from early morning to late at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, this last time going down to Juneau, just to be able to enjoy the skits, I was surprised how much daylight there was that time of year. And it's like, I guess it was like that all the time. I you, you were at my table for skits. Yeah, yeah. I was like, thank you very much for allowing me to be at your table. Wasn't my, I think it was Sharice uh, Millet's table. She invited us. But yeah. that was, we had a really good, right in the front row, that was... That yeah. was pretty funny skits Actually, this year. Actually, that's the first time in four, 15 years, 16 years, because I used to go to the skits before I started serving the legislature, that I've ever got a front row seat. Well, that was a nice table. It was a very, I got a shout out to Sharice Miller for setting us at the uh, setting us at their table. Um, and just for the record, when I was minority leader, Sharice Millet was the majority leader. And then when I became the majority leader, she was the minority leader. So that's, the, in the, I think there was a really good picture of the two of us leaning uh, towards each other across the mm-hmm. aisle, which I think really demonstrated how we were able to work together. I mean, politics, it's just, you know, lately it's been, I mean, it's always been that way, kind of nasty, but I think social media and a lot of things has made it, you know, more just in your face. But I think for the people who don't maybe go to Juno, most of the public, um, there's so much getting along that people don't ever see. And in some ways it's probably gotten harder or worse, but, uh, I mean, most a lot of these votes are actually pretty, you know, a lot, a lot of bills, a lot of votes are almost unanimous or not everything, right? But but it's it's like you got cross certain members of the majority voting with the minority and vice versa on certain things. And it's not like when you're there, it's not as toxic as you would think it would be if you watch Facebook or Twitter, you know? Yeah, the floor can be pretty, well, see, the house is pretty rambunctious, right? So the floor sessions really get uh, pretty exciting. Sometimes committee meetings can be exciting, However, um, you know, we all got to work together. We're all, all down there. You know, I like, I appreciate what Bob Lynn said, and I'm paraphrasing. He said that uh, the people that he argued with the most are the people that he ended up becoming better friends with. Mm-hmm. And so it's a yeah, mutual no, respect I, I, thing. I, I remember, I remember he had said that, but, but you're not down in Juneau, but you are very busy with your electrical. I mean, I, I, every time I talk to you, you're doing some job or you're out in the bush or rural Alaska. You guys are pretty busy, huh? Yep. Yep. No, we got a uh, good team of people put together. Um, trying to bring more people on board. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, when people were asking me to run for mayor, that's one of the reasons why I was very dismissive in the beginning was because I told people I just can't do two jobs at the same time. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm getting things established and now that I'm bringing on some partners, it uh, it's going to free me up some time. Well, I want to talk about your mayoral run. You filed uh, a while back, and you're having your campaign kickoff tonight, which by the time I post this, it might already be over. Um, but I really want to talk about you know, in the last couple, you know, last five, four or five days, you've been kind of the, the you know, attacked by Scott Kendall wrote some opinion piece in the 
ADN, and then you had these women post something in the Alaska Current, and one of, one of their attacks was that, that you shouldn't run because of the fucking Barbie movie. Like, I thought that was a joke, but apparently that's a real thing. Um, I guess well, well, if they're accusing me of being seen at the Barbie movie, I just want to put on record I have not gone seen the movie yet. No, no, they're saying that that how dare this guy run against Suzanne LaFrance, a woman, in the time when the biggest movie in the country is about dismantling the patriarchy. I mean, it's and it's funny because two of those women, Lauren Orton Cruz and Polly Carr, supported Forrest Dunbar for senator when you supported Garantar. So <laughs> they need to get their their facts straight. But let's talk about why you ran for mayor, why you're running for mayor, and then I want to talk about some of these kind of attacks that have been levied against you here in the last four or five days. So let's talk about first why you decided to get in the race. Well, I think, well, I was convinced that the, the skills and experience that I've had in bringing people together is really what Anchorage needs right now. I'm a purpose-driven person. And uh, when I was first uh, convinced, or, or actually when someone really, really laid it on heavy about uh, Anchorage needs and how I can fulfill those needs or help fulfill those needs, I said, wait, I'm only 2% there. I mean, I'll keep an open mind, but I'm only 2% there. And then out of the woodwork, more and more people um, began asking me, almost pleading, and actually strangers referring to me as mayor and then asking me to run. And so a lot of that's anecdotal. So I did a you know, the, the little bit of research, looked at the um, possibility with after doing a precinct analysis and this and that, and uh, after uh, evaluating things and uh, getting things a little bit more in automatic mode with my business, I said, well, I will do it. Right now, now you're, you're a Democrat. Um, Dave Bronson's a Republican. Suzanne LaFrance is independent, but she's a progressive. But you, for a long time, and Taco Campbell um, won in a kind of Republican-leaning district. It wasn't kind of. It was 2.1 Republicans and one Democrat when I got elected. Right. I mean, it was, I guess it wasn't as bad as like the Valley, but, but, you know, but it was, it's a Republican district, but you managed to, I knew you ran twice against Ralph Samuels and he beat you. And then you third time there was kind of a bait and switch and you got in there in 2008 and then, but they, you know, in, in 10 and 12, I mean, they came after you pretty hard, but you kind of maintained, you always figured out a way to keep winning. So, I mean, would that cross over into, you know, cause for you to win, you're going to need to definitely get some center kind of center to center right votes. Yeah. I, uh, I think one of the things that uh, kept me in that seat was uh, working with my constituents and making myself accountable. I still do my Tuesday morning coffees with Chris. As a matter of fact, I did it again this morning. It's Elam, like, Elam cafe still, or well, it was at Elam cafe, but they no longer open at seven. Yeah, they, Actually yeah. they're, they're, they're in transition right now. And so I originally started at cafe Vivace, went over to Elam cafe. And now I'm back over to the low location of, uh, uh, of Cafe Vivace, it turned into Cafe D'Arte, which is now Sodas mm. and S'mores. Well, I got to say, so I, we, you know, for the folks listening, some might know, but I ran against you in 2012. We got some funny story. We can talk about that sometime, but um, I ended up switching to run against Lisa McGuire in the uh, Senate race. But in, in 12, one of the big memories I have is even in 16, I ran for the Senate again, but I'd knock on doors in, in the, the Taco Campbell uh, area. And, and one of the things I, always remember is a lot of Republicans would say, you're not running against Chris Tuck, are you? Cause I'm, I'm voting for Chris Tuck. And I always say, wow, that's interesting. You know, it was like Republican voters. And you know, one guy you helped, uh, there was a tree fell on the power lines and you got not only helped with the state or the city response, but you came out there and kind of helped him with his electrical issue. And then just different stories people would tell me. And I was always like, wow, you know, it's, you think it was Democrats, right? But the Republicans, a lot of them would say, I'm don't, I'm voting for Chris. Chris is my guy. Yeah, no, I'm proud to have um, of uh, won people over, you know, from from the activities I've done and uh, the uh, 
um, the job that I did. I mean, representing people. It didn't matter to me, Republican, Dem- Democrat, once I was elected. I pulled people together to do what's best for Alaska. So why do you think, you know, the Scott Kendall, and I, I made him my loose unit this week because he put out some pretty weird attacks about, you know, pro-life stuff, even though he worked for Bill Walker, who was extremely pro-life. And I'm not sure what pro-life has to do with being, you know, Anchorage mayor, but there was some other attacks in there. And then these Laura Norton Cruz and these Polly Carr women put out something about, you know, we need to let Suzanne run because she's a woman. I've never heard anybody say anything like this about you in 14 years of being in the legislature. You're a majority leader. You're a minority leader. Um, some of your co-hosts include LV Gray Jackson, Lukey Tobin, Berta Gardner. Um, you know, why do you think they're doing this now all of a sudden? It's, I mean, I, I've experienced this too. If they don't like something you do, they don't go after what you think or your positions. They say, oh, you know, you don't like women or whatever. I mean, is that, it's like the first time I've ever heard anybody say that kind of thing about you. Well, um, any type of character assassination like that is just a, a sign of desperation. And um, um, I don't know, I mean, I don't know Kendall well enough to know why he would do something like that. I have no idea. I mean, that he, he expressed that that's his, only, that, I mean, that's his own viewpoint. Um, I, mean, I know Scott, for a long time I liked Scott, but you know, if you remember when, when Dunleavy resigned, they appointed the guy who wanted to give babies scissors to kill the abortion doctors. Remember that guy they appointed? I do. It was kind of like a, I think they were trying to mess with the Republicans, but it totally backfired. I mean, Planned Parenthood put out like a press release. And I think Berta Gardner said something like, I'm not even going to shake this guy's hand. <laughs> right. I mean, this right. guy literally said he wanted to give the babies scissors so they could stab the abortion doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he, he can call me, he can call me pro-life, but he really shouldn't be calling me anti-abortionist. And that's what he did in that, in that article, because I've always voted to protect a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. And so, and I tell my colleagues on the other side that if you're, if you're truly pro-life, you would invest in prenatal care. You would uh, provide uh, contraception care, yeah. contraceptions. As 100%. a matter of fact, one of the, one of the big debates we had on the floor, which I spoke on adamantly was about uh, providing contraceptives and, and uh, birth control for, for mm-hmm. families. And so, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, there's other things that we can do to um, making sure that uh, people are not making the decision based on economics or whether or not they're going to be able to finish school or uh, embarrassment. We want to make sure that uh, people are making the decision. And we, we, I, I, I think back to like Bill Clinton, safe, safe, rare, and legal. Yeah. That used to be the kind of mantra that most people, now it's gone in some cases the other way. But So whether, whether it's legal or not, it's going to happen. So you want to make sure it's done safe. So might as well. Plus, I want, I'm going to add that uh, Alaska's constitution has very strong privacy mm-hmm. components to it. And that's the one thing that I've always fought in the legislature was privacy. And uh, Well, one of the things he talked about you was many years ago, you, you kind of were, came out about TSA. Yeah. And he attacked, I mean, I, I, I agreed with that 100%. I mean, I, I got the pre-check a while back because, I mean, I, I, hate, I hated being, you know, I didn't really give a shit, but like they're grabbing, they're grabbing you. I mean, they're literally groping you. I see it all the time when I go to the airport. By FBI definitions, it is sexual harassment. Uh, but I will say this, that uh, he misquoted what I said. You should actually play it sometime, the, uh, the, my, my TSA. Your PSA. PSA. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, it was back, that was back in like, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? 2010. Yeah, I remember that. There was a lot of people, media picked up on, and it was kind of a little, little bit of a news uh, cycle thing. Yeah, and that's when people were really upset with the procedures that were going on with with DSA. I just this last this last um, session, I was going to the airport. I fly back back and forth during session, and I'm I'm going through the security. I have the pre check. I walk through. I actually tweeted this. 
um, I see Kathy Tilton, the speaker, and I guess she doesn't have pre-check. And I mean, Chris, you would not believe it. I mean, it was it was just you know going. I mean, up at her you know her like breasts and her, her like her pants. And I mean, it was it was like people were watching and saying, "What the hell?" And I said, "What are you guys doing?" This is the speaker of the house. And I actually tweeted about it, and I said, I just witnessed the most egregious kind of, um, and I think they might have even contacted her, but it was like, I mean, it was bad. And it was in front of people, too, and they asked her if she wanted to go to the back to some private room, and she said no. Good for her. Um, it was like, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. You know, it was, it was that bad. Well, unfortunately, Americans are being conditioned. And uh, I, there's a generations of, of uh, people now that don't even remember what it was like to just go to a metal detector and being able to go and greet your family and friends. I remember, you know, I, I was turned, I was like, what, 16 during 9-11. So, yeah, when I was a kid, sure, you go to the airport, you're, you're at the gate, you know, mm-hmm. you hug your parents or your friends. Not anymore. Not anymore. You're right. You're, a lot of people don't even have any memory of that. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that, uh, I mean, it, it, the, it doesn't make sense to me why at a certain age group or a certain age, you no longer have to go through all this stuff. Or if you're younger, you don't have to go through this stuff. I mean, what does age have to do yeah. with, with security going in and out? Well, I mean, I don't want to, this is a rabbit hole, but yeah. also you talk about, you talk about conditioning. I mean, the masking, I mean, I just, I'm, you know, we, everybody just kind of, Oh, we got to wear the mask. And that, I mean, it didn't take very long for that to, you know, kind of, kind of stick with a lot of people. Um, so there's that Kendall thing, and then there's also this recent one from yesterday. I think these women, now, the kind of idea that they're putting out is people have been asking you not to run. Is that, I mean, is that true? I mean, the, 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 when you read it, you think like all these people are like, oh my God, Chris can't run. Why are you running? Are you getting like big name donors or Democrats to say don't run? I haven't had anyone tell me not to run. And I did contact a few people prior to running, but I didn't have anybody. I mean, there were, some of them were concerned about me running. But I never had anyone tell me not to run. I kind of had a little bit of a of a veil threat, saying that well, if you run, this is going to come out and that's going to come out. But I don't operate that way. I mean, go ahead and say whatever you want to say about whatever you think you know about a situation. Yeah, good. And so, uh, so no, I didn't even know where that come from. I can tell you that um, all those that were on that list, none of them, I've, I've, no one has even contacted me about the campaign at all. So it just, I don't, it just I seems thought, to me so that I don't know why they would throw something in there. It when, seems to me that even had anything to do with these big kind of LaFrance supporters um, have just kind of decided she's the ordained one. And, you know, just because you damn da- be anybody else who wants to, you know, run, run for mayor, which is, I think is ridiculous. I mean, it's funny too. Kendall, we don't have ranked choice voting in Anchorage, but we do have a runoff. Um, their big argument with ranked choice voting is more people. They always talk about, we want more people. We want to get more people, more competition, attract more candidates. But, but when it's their person, you know, they don't want more people. They want to consolidate the, the, the voters on, on, on their kind of progressive candidate. That's a very good point because ranked choice would we have 48 people running for Don Young's. Uh, yeah. Seat, oh, yeah. You know, and so far we only have three in this one. But I, I guarantee you we're going to about. There's four. There's that Darren Colbury seven. guy. He's kind of a, a per, perennial. But, yeah, for now it's you're the Democrat, only one. LaFrance is the nonpartisan. And then uh, Bronson is the Republican. That Darren Colbury guy's. uh He's kind of a perennial guy, but I mean, I think Bill Pop. There's a lot of talk about him. I think by the time we get to the filing deadline in January, I'm I'm guessing there'll be ten or twelve people, and then maybe five or six, you know, ones that are raising money and campaigning. Yeah, and at, then, least, at least seven or eight are going to be in this race, definitely. And then there's going to be, you know, I think the, the runoff threshold is forty five percent. So if nobody gets that, then it goes to the to the runoff. And you know, I went back and checked, and it's interesting. 
Bronson has a lot of problems. You know, he's you know the snow plowing, some of the you know scandals with the people and and the contracts, and I mean like the Star of David, and I mean I could go on forever. But if you look at like uh, Begich's second term, Sullivan's second term, and Berkowitz's second term, they really didn't have much any competition from 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 their side. So you know they all won. Automa- I mean they didn't go to a runoff. I think this one's definitely going to go to a runoff. I'd be shocked if it didn't, which which tells you a lot about kind of where Bronson is because, you know, Berkowitz, I think he ran against Rebecca Logan. He beat her. It was kind of a, not that big of a race. Um, who did who did Sullivan? Was it was it Honeman? I'm trying to, trying to remember. But, yes, but, but Honeman. In the, in the second term, these guys and Begich, they they kind of just no problem. But in this case, I, you know, I, 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 like I said, I'd be shocked if there wasn't a runoff. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult to avoid. I, I think everyone agrees with that. I, I, I mean... I don't think Bronson can get the forty-five percent to be able to avoid a runoff. I've seen some numbers that show his ceiling right now is about thirty percent. Yeah, people are really upset with the direction that Anchorage is going, and a lot of people are leaving Anchorage because there's just not enough job or education opportunities, or, or homes, or even homes. You know, and so uh, I mean, look at the homelessness. It's, I mean, can you say in the last three years that it's gotten better? Or no gotten way, worse? no. It's wor- obviously we all know it's gotten and, worse. And, and, the, and this. City saw $160 million dedicated to the homelessness program. And what do we have to show for it? They're all back in tents. They're all back in our, in, in third in Avenue has housing. become basically like a, just, you know, just a big, huge encampment with fires and shootings and, you know, hundred, I mean, I think it's probably upwards of a hundred tents. Then you have the Davis park situation and then all just all over town, you could drive around and there's tents and there's people. And there's by where I live over on old sewer and Dowling, there's a, a, tr- a, van that's been parked there forever with a tarp and they basically just living there now and there's tents in the you know, right off the trail um yeah go over there at campbell creek you know i take my daughter you know one weekend she made this little ornamental thing with rocks and flowers and everything and then we come back uh the next weekend and someone had left their dead camp there and just left all all their belongings everything left um soaked in the rain you know just basically polluted the, the side of the of the Campbell Creek. And so we, we went back over there with a little cart, went over there and picked it all up and pulled it mm-hmm. all out. But, uh, you know, we're seeing that all over Anchorage right now. So we're spreading out the problem all over and we're not, we're not able to contain it. We're not able to know what the numbers are. Um, yeah, we just, uh, I think we've caught caused a bigger problem rather than solving. What it. would your approach be? I mean, for me, I think you need to be compassionate, but also tough. And, and right now I think we're heavy on the compassion, light on the tough. Well, that's what San Diego did. San Diego had, had, had both, right? So they enforced some of the laws that they have. If you're intoxicated in public, you're going to get picked up. But you're not going to be thrown in jail. You're going to be taken to a detox center. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's 24 hours the first time. The second time you're picked up for intoxication in public, it's three days. The third time, it's 30 days. But not jail time. But then after that, it's jail time. You need to provide resources for people to get themselves better. And that's one of the things I try to do serving the legislature is I wanted to set up public, kind of like uh, API, you know, public uh, uh, mental institution. I wanted to have public um, rehabilitation centers for drug and alcohol abuse because we do not have the facilities here. And when you have, I've, I've, I've said for a long time, if you're addicted to drugs right now, if you're an alcoholic, if you've got some real, real big problems and you say, I want help, like that's what everybody says with addiction. It's like there's a moment where people want help and there's a window. And if you don't have money or family with resources, 
there's nowhere to really get help immediately. There's just nowhere to get, there's we not have, available. Most of the time we have to send people out and that's for those families that can afford it or have the insurance to be able to do it. Yeah. But, but most don't. Exactly. But you're right. When your person ends up in the hospital and says, I need help or go to the police and need help or go to their family and say, I need help. You have, because if you don't get them in that window of opportunity, the next thing you know, they're jonesing and they're trying to get their next fix and they'll commit whatever crime or do whatever necessary to get their next fix. I mean, I've heard, and, and this is a little different, but with, with the mental, mental health aspect, API, in the 90s, there was like hundreds of beds at API. And now there's like a few dozen or less than that. I mean, how's that possible? Yeah, well, we hope, I hope that uh, our city can tap into a little bit of the um, Alaska Mental Health Board and try to get some of those resources to help solve the problems that we have right now because you know there's basically four or five different categories of homeless out there out there it's those that have mental illness those that have drug and alcohol problems and sometimes that overlaps with the two of them you have those with physical disabilities you have those that uh, you know we have a lot of veterans out there that are a little bit prideful and don't want to get veteran yeah. services and everything else you know they won't be able to do it on their own you have those that um um, think it's kind of a cool thing to do, kind of like van life. You know, people living out of van. We've done we've done two videos in the last four years, and and, and you're right, all those parts are there. Um, and but there are people who just say, hey, it's summertime. Hey, well, you know, why not? I'm here by the got the got the river here, you know, whatever. It's nice, nice weather. Yeah, those people are out there, hundred percent. But the goal is to make it obsolete. The goal is to provide opportunities and resources, and to get people into making a living wage. And to where they can stand up on their own two feet. But unfortunately, when someone has, you know, just, just recovered from drug and alcohol, oftentimes they can't get into jobs that will give them a living, uh, living wage. It's just the minimum wage. And so there's things that we need to do in all aspects. But let me share one story. I was at uh, my morning coffee location, but it was on a Wednesday, not Tuesday morning when I have my constituent coffee. And I had uh, all my prints out and everything. And this guy came up to me and goes, oh, you're an electrical engineer? And I said, oh, no, he asked me if I was an engineer. And I said, no, I'm an electrician. And he started giving me all these energy ideas that we need to do for, for our energy needs. But I asked him a few questions and found out that the man just recently lost his home of 30 years. His wife was the main breadwinner. He was retired from working for the Alaska Marine Highway, but only in the last few years of his life. So he didn't have a good retirement. Mm. But he didn't know that he was an, an, um, had back taxes owed. And uh, even though his place was paid off and everything else, he lost his home. Oh, wow. I shared this with another friend of mine, and she told me, yeah, that happens. She has uh, three properties, and one of the properties <clears throat> that she had hadn't uh, made it in the newspaper. And she was just looking at who, who was on the foreclosure list, not realizing her name was going to pop up. And she doesn't understand how that can happen when um, there's no reason. I mean, it's, she's easy to get a hold of. It's not like they couldn't get a hold of her to let her know that taxes were owed. So there's a lot of things that we can do to prevent people from going homeless in the first place. And speaking of living wage, you know, I've, I've always, for a long time, I've said that, you know, if you're willing to work 40 hours a week, you know, you, you should be able to make enough to, to, to have a decent life. Yes. And, and the reality is right now, I mean, people are working a lot more than 40 hours a week and who are making low wages and they aren't able to, you know, have a house or have, a, you know, meet their basic needs and maybe going to, you know, God forbid, going on a vacation once a year, a couple you know? Well, you know, my mom raised two boys all on her own. I was five and my little brother was three when we escaped California to move back up to Alaska because uh, my stepdad at the time was a very violent alcoholic. And I'm thank God that she had the strength to be able to do that. She just left, said, pick up the car at the airport. We moved up to Alaska. I got established with my grandparents um, up there. Well, actually, I went up to live with my grandparents in Tanana while my mom got established with my little brother here in Anchorage. And then I came back down 
And uh, she was able to get a state job, and she was able to provide for herself and her two boys. And, uh, you know, did we have a lot of luxuries? No, we didn't, but we survived. And now my mom has been able to retire with a good defined benefit plan that has uh, allowed her to contribute back to her community. My mom will do anything for every anybody. Yeah, she, yeah she's, I've, she's, I've met your mom many times. Very nice lady. She's out there, and that's what we all. That's that's what I hope that we can do for our younger generation coming up. I mean, where where are the opportunities for them? How are they going to be able to do that? You know, right now we're taking away people's uh, benefits and taking away their health insurance, and so they're not able to provide. And they, when they retire. Because they don't make enough on retirement, they actually become a burden on society. So we got to we got to break that cycle. So one of the things I think has been a theme in the last couple of years since Bronson's been, been been mayor is the acrimony between him and the assembly, whether it's homelessness or you know kind of the housing type things or the COVID, whatever it might be. If you were to win, you're obviously a Democrat, and you know you're, you're a lot of these people in the assembly. It's a progressive assembly. Would you be able to work with them? I think more than Bronson, where it's just been kind of really a lot of fighting and this mask mandate stuff a couple of years ago and the homelessness and the confirmations of appointees. It's been a real, just really bad relationship. Well, unfortunately, our mayor is a little bit reclusive. I don't think he's a, a big bridge builder. Also, he didn't know a lot about government work. Um, I think it's kind of adorable that when he... Uh, when there was a failed vote, he tried to... Uh, he tried to v- uh, veto the... Yeah. A failed vote, yeah. You know? <laughs> and so... I was in the room, and everybody started cheering, and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so uh, um, so so I think a lot of the last couple of years have been really wasted because of, uh, um, you know, the Assembly's trying to rein him in. Um, there's a lot of uh, procurement procedures that weren't followed in... You know, which may be a great idea, the navigation centers and everything else, but there's a process, there's a procedure. And one of the things that you need to do is you need to bring people in in your decisions. You need to make it, everyone a part of the decision as you move forward. And where you don't get the, the alignment, then you can uh, um, just get this, the necessary votes to do that. But you want to bring people on board. And I think that's what's lacking right now is we do not have the community involvement. People feel like that things are being imposed on them rather than be part of the solution. So the other one is, you know, the housing, which, you know, you're a Christian, so you, I know you do some residential, but people are leaving Anchorage. I mean, they're going to the Valley. The cost of a house in the Valley is 80 grand cheaper. The average price of a home is 450 in Anchorage. It's like 375 in the Valley. Um, there's a proposal right now. I think it's Cross, Voland, and Zolotel to, to improve and make zoning easier, to, to streamline the zoning process. Um you know, is there is it is there a way to make this better? It seems to me that like they they do things around the margins, like this parking lot thing or these ADUs, which a lot of the AD, it's great, but a lot of the ADUs seem to be. I have several friends who have ADUs or parents built ADUs, and, and they're going on Airbnb, so they aren't really being used to help the housing situation. But I mean, is there a way to improve and make housing? Because I know the zoning is very complicated. It's very difficult to build more than a duplex. Well, you know, we have a very vibrant tourism business here in Anchorage. And I think that's one of the problems, right? People want to do the Airbnbs and instead of uh, renting things out or their facilities or their, their, their dwelling units to Anchorage residents, they're holding on to them for the higher pay that you can get for, for the Airbnbs. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's contributing to, and I don't know what the percentage is. It's probably, probably between 10 and 15% is my guess, but still 10 or 15% makes a difference on well, right now. The, right now vacancies are, 
extremely low. I had a friend who just hired somebody to move back up to Alaska and he wants to live in Anchorage and really just cannot find a place to live. Mm-hmm. Just can't find a place to buy, whatever. They're going to the valley. Um, and then the rents too. I've, I have some friends that are landlords and they have rental properties and, and, and they, they say they almost feel bad because the rents are so high. Well, I think that's the reason why you see Matsu Valley is being the fastest growing. Last year, half of the houses built, more than half of the homes built in the whole state were built in the Matsu Valley. Yeah. And I think that Matsu is one of the fastest growing places in the nation. Also yeah, it's, it's as a result of that. Alaska has been losing population for 10 years as a whole. And Anchorage losing a little bit, but, but the valley has been growing. Yep. So, I mean, it's like, it seems to me the homelessness is obviously a big problem. It needs to be fixed, improved. But also, like, housing is just, you know, there's, there's thousands of jobs for Willow. There's PICA. There's other things that might be happening. You know, we, we just don't have the ability to have a bunch of people move here. So they're going to go to the Valley because they can't, there's nowhere to live. Well, one of the things about the, the jobs that we're acquiring up on the North Slope is we want to make sure that people who live in Anchorage have opportunities for those jobs up there. And so we need to have workforce development happen here. Apprenticeship programs, um, our university, um, you know, those that graduate from Aftec and everything else to make sure that if not Anchorage getting those jobs up on the North Slope, at least Alaskans get those jobs up on the North Slope. But it, it really pains me to see that, uh, you know, it is cheaper to prepare a student for college than it is for career and technical education, right? In my day, it was shop classes. Um, and uh, so because you need specialized materials, you need specialized instructors, um, you need specialized equipment, so it costs a lot. Thank God we have the um, the King Career Academy mm-hmm. there to, to, to be able to get that. But uh, a lot of students, what's nice about having your home school is you don't have to be transported over and then back. Well, and you know, you're, you're an IBW guy, and like I said before, I think people should, you know, if you're willing to work 40 hours a week, you should be able to at least live, you know, not, not struggle. But for, for the, you know, IBW or for... You know, any any kind of skilled labor operator. I know I know guys are the operators and the plumbers, pipe fitters. You know, uh, all these different trades. And these guys, these guys are making really good money. Some of the highest paying jobs that we have here in Alaska is in the construction, mining, and oil industry. And if we're not investing it from the high school level up to our university and book and and, uh, and apprenticeship programs, then what you're going to do is you're going to have students graduate from high school, pursue higher education elsewhere, never to come back. But for those that want to do the skills and everything else, if we're not investing that early, they're not going to have those skills so that we end up importing them from Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana. to take those. One, one of the things I hear more and more, and it's really sad, is friends of mine that are, have, you know, that are a little older, that have kids that are in high school or going to college, uh, the kids I hear increasingly more saying, yeah, they're not going to come back. Why would I come back here? And that's why I hear that a lot. Yeah. And that's the reason why we need to invest in our younger generations, invest in, in uh, those jobs training so that those high paying jobs up in North Slope and out in, in rural areas can benefit um, right here. The money stays here and it drives our economy. I want to see people living in Anchorage with those jobs up there. Now, I want to ask you, I, I wrote a piece last week about the Kinnick Arm crossing, the Kinnick Arm Bridge, and that's kind of been resurrected a bit by the Dunlavy folks. They haven't really moved forward with hey, we're going to do this thing, but they're looking at it. Where are you at on the, on the bridge? I mean, I think the benefits far outweigh any kind of, you know, the housing situation on the Kinnick, you know, Matsu side, the egress, having another way out of Anchorage, having all the trucks not have to drive through downtown and through Merrill, all around Wasilla, but they can go straight up to the, the parks. I mean, what do you, I mean, you were in the legislature during the time the Kabata was talked about and um, debated. I mean, do you think we should build this baby? Well, what I would like to see is I would like to see us fully develop and plan, not necessarily develop, but plan, 
Point McKinsey as a future industrial park of Alaska. The cheapest mode of transportation worldwide is still water. So you want your biggest industries right there close to the water and then go to your support industries and then go to your warehousing and retail and then your, your housing. But if we don't plan Point McKinsey, if we build a bridge over there now, we're not going to be able to take advantage of the economic opportunities if, I mean, you, don't, been, if you don't zone it out. There's been talk about, I've, I've read some stuff but in the past, they've talked about building a big airport over there, a cargo airport. Well, that's been talked about about 20 years now. I actually served on the Airport Planning Commission back in 2001, 2003. And at that time, we do have land over there. The state of Alaska owns it mm-hmm. for a future airport. So the plan is because we have nowhere to expand. I mean, we now that Coolis is closed, we are expanding on, this, on the south side of the of the uh, runways, but uh, but we're going to not have enough room for all the cargo. So the idea was to move cargo over there because then we'll have the best of both worlds, right? The cheapest mode of transportation, which is water, and then the fastest mode of transportation, which is air. So that's why Point McKinsey. And then, then Anchorage would be basically park. just the passenger airport, and just right? Be, yeah, exactly. I love that. Passenger. I, I just what frustrates me, and this bridge is part of it. But I mean, we don't we don't do anything anymore. We used to. We built the Parks Highway, built the Pipeline, Red Dog Mine, but all that's in the 70s. I think Red Dog was in the 80s, but, you know, what are we doing? We're not, we're not doing anything. Well, if we have IJA money coming to the that's state infra- of That's infrastructure, yeah. yeah and infrastructure we do have billions money. of dollars, but where is it going? I mean, maybe it's going somewhere, but I don't fucking see it. Well, I'd say, if, if anything, let's get a grand pro- project like that going. If, if the opportunity is there for the federal government to invest in this, let's do it. I mean, we had the uh, June, I mean, Walker stopped this one. He stopped the bridge, too, but um, the Juno Access Road. Which would have, I think, made a would have made a big difference impact on the ferry system because instead of having to take the four hour ferry from Haynes, four and a half hour ferry from Haynes, you could take a little ferry right across the way there. So you could drive to Haynes and you're and you're basically boom, small ferry, quick quick jump, boom, you're on the road. Well, what we're talking about is the veins and vessels of a strong economy, and that's roads, that's infrastructure, that's uh, railroads, that's uh, airports, that's. Uh, I mean, why why don't we have and this? Probably might be a little bit pie in the sky, but you know, because of the population, but. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we had like a like a fast train from the airport to the valley? I mean, think about every place you go, every city you go to. It seems like there's a train where you hop on the train and you go out to where you're, you know, to the city. Well, just for those that are traveling, I mean, we got that railroad depot there at the uh, airport, which they never even use. Do they ever even use it? Uh, I think they. I think during some tourism seasons they do. I mean, that cost a lot of money. That was a DOT. That was a federal. But I mean, that was big money, and it's rarely used. We need to maximize the, the use of that. I mean, it already, yeah, it already exists. There's already freaking train tracks. To and the- I appreciate that people were able to take the train out to the state fair. I hope that opens up again this year. Yeah, that's the, where you hop off in Palmer. Well, I know you got to run soon. You got your event coming up. But, I mean, this is, uh, I think this is going to be an interesting race. I mean, you got this kind of little tiny lefty contingent coming after you for, I don't know, because it's the Barbie movie time. You know, Chris, it's the Barbie movie. You, you got to drop out, buddy. It's the Barbie movie came out. I mean, come on. You got to, Jesus. I mean, stupidity. I'm and still then, not linking the two together, so I got to go see the movie. I haven't seen it, but apparently, um, you know, Chris, it's the patriarchy, okay? So you got to, and it's funny, like I said, some of those women who want you out supported Forrest Dunbar over Garantar. You supported Garantar. I did support Garantar. So they, they need to, you know, maybe do a little research on that. But your event's tonight. I'm going to post this probably tomorrow, so it'll be over. And then, you know, it's August. The deadline officially to file is January. So we're, you know, still several months out. Really, this is, thing's going to start up in January, February. Cause There's the ba- plenty the, of time. The ballots, six months before even the, uh, the, uh, you're able to even declare. Yeah, the ballots go out, you know, March, and then it's the vote by mail. But um, I think more people will get in, and then we'll kind of see where 
where things go. But I mean, what's what's at this point? What's your strategy? I guess is just raising money, you know, talking to folks, and then that, and then uh, basically um, getting people to, to know me. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing right now is just uh, introduce myself for those that don't know me and uh, share a vision with them, and then get them to be part of that vision. So really, just inspire people to. Know that we can do better in Anchorage. Well, I can't wait for these debates. They're going to be fun. We're going to have a good. It's going to be going to be going to be a going to be a good time. Debates are fun. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Representative, former Representative Chris Tuck, my buddy, my my rep for a long time, and uh, now now electrical uh, contractor, business owner, and mayoral candidate. So, thanks for coming in. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of you over the next several months. Thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate it. All right, Chris. Thanks, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Land, land.